Well, before I get going today, I want to share with you guys a passage of Scripture that came to my mind as uh, I came over here yesterday. Uh, you know, I came in and I worked on my sermon. That's what I do on Saturday. And I'm, I'm a little bit OCD, so it helps me to sleep at night knowing that my coffee mug with my little thing of tea is already sitting here waiting for me. And my little kashi bar is sitting here waiting for me. So I get everything ordered, okay? It just helps, I'm saying. And I saw the pictures. And I thought, Wow. You know, one of those pictures, and you saw it actually in the slideshow, is of these two guys sitting right here in the second row. A couple of weeks ago, they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. That's their wedding picture. Isn't that awesome? I love that. Absolutely love that. So anyway, here's the verse. Are you ready? Here we go. Hebrews 12, beginning of verse 1, therefore, and here's the part that struck me, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Isn't that cool? Like I was looking into all these pictures, man. And I mean, I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm weird, but I'm looking at the architecture. I'm trying to figure out where in the building they are and staring into the faces of all these people that for the most part, I don't know, and a few that I really miss. I really miss who have become part of that great cloud of witnesses. And truthfully, I don't know how that all works in the economy with God, but I sort of picture earth as kind of like a stadium, or let's just talk about us and our great cloud of witnesses cheering us on for the sake of the Lord. So the writer of the Hebrews says this, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what ought we to do? You ready? Let us lay aside every weight, everything that holds us back, get rid of. Hang on to that idea. He's calling you to run. Let us lay aside every weight. And every sin which clings so closely. As I thought about that, I thought about this image of sin. You know, it's like you're standing there with your arms down and sin comes up behind you and goes, you're trapped. It clings closely. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And guys, let us run. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, it's funny, the the older I get, uh, and I shared with you as I looked in the mirror, you know, last week, I'm getting older than I thought, and it's happening happening a lot faster than I realized. The more this resonates with me, the less time I have, the faster I want to run. We need to be a people who run. And we get rid of the things that slow us down. Looking to Jesus, he says, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, and what's the next word? Come on, some of you know it. Who for the joy, thank you. Remember that word today. That's a very important word. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
and is with us by His Spirit this morning. The torch of the gospel has been passed from Christ to His apostles, to the churches they planted, to generation upon generation upon generation upon generation upon generation who's hanging here now together with us on these walls to this generation. To us, it's in our hands. And the question is, what will we do with it? The Scriptures call us to run. Or I guess you could say it differently, and since it's the language of the day, to leverage our lives. So that's what we're going to talk about. If you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, then please turn to Luke chapter 9. And where we're going to look today, what I'm telling you up front is one of the most exciting passages of Scripture in the Bible. However, and here's my caveat, and it's a big one. It's only exciting if you understand it. If you do not understand it, well, then it's one of those passages of Scripture that you know because it is so memorable, and the reason it's so memorable is because, frankly, you recognize that it's asking stuff of you, and it's kind of intimidating. So when we get to it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I know that one. Think about this with me for a minute. This is perhaps the definitive statement by Jesus on what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I mean, that's the language that he's going to use. If anyone would come after me, and then he's going to say, and here's what it means. Think about that. And then consider with me as well that I've never seen a follower of Jesus, like for all the Christian t-shirts that I've seen, with this verse on it. Ever! I mean, it may be out there somewhere, but I've seen hundreds of these kinds of t-shirts. I even own a few. I don't have one either. But it's the definitive statement of Christ on what it means to follow Him. No t-shirts, no wristbands, no football players putting it on their face tape. Nobody running around with an afro, multicolored, you know, wig and standing out, you know, at the sporting events with a big placard and this emblazoned across it for all of the thousands of tweets that I have now read on Twitter. I don't think I've seen this one. And yet properly understood, I I think that it's one of the most exciting passages of Scripture in the Bible. Like when you leave here today, I hope A, you understand it, and B, like you're really excited about this passage. You want to go out and make a t-shirt. It's exciting. And here's what it says in sum. To shorten it up, to use the language of this series, Jesus is going to say, look, to follow me, is to leverage your life, or to use the metaphor that we've been using now for months in preparation for this day. It is to gather up all the different pieces and all the different parts and all the different components of your life, and then intentionally, willfully, knowingly, taking every single one of them, one by one, and putting them into a great big metaphorical bag that your Lord, who has purchased you with His blood, He's not just your Savior. He's also your Lord, and not just of some small part of you, but the whole of you that your Lord hands you together with your salvation in grace. Put it all in there. And then once it's all in there, it's to get in there too, right? So like you're in there, everything's in there, and now what? Now you grab the sides of the bag and you pull it up over your head and then you pull out a bow that you hope to win the shiny bow competition with and Jesus will really love this one and you kind of just tie it in a knot and then you grab the inside of it about thigh high and together with everything you have and with everything you are, you just sort of like hop it on over to the feet of Jesus where you deposit it, key word, I told you to watch for this word, joyfully. And you'll hopefully come to understand why. Joyfully, here it is, Lord. The whole of it as an act of worship 
in response to the leveraging of the life of Jesus, in response to the gospel, in response to everything that he has done for me and everything that he has done for you, everything that he has done for all who will just come to him and and embrace and receive him. But you get a bag. And that's a good thing. In light of his life lived for you, his sufferings and death suffered and died for you, the resurrection from the dead which he experienced and by which he has conquered sin and death for you and purchased everlasting life for you, the one who withholds no good thing from you. In light of that, Lord, here we go. Here it is. And then it is to get up tomorrow and then the next day and the next day and every day thereafter and to take out a hammer and nail, and to crucify, to nail to the cross every desire that you will then have every day after doing that, after giving it all to the Lord, to open up that bow, to climb out of that bag, and to start taking stuff back out. You nail that to the cross daily. And then what do you do? Well, then you follow Him. And immediately, you want to say, well, yeah, okay, but where? I don't know. Wherever he leads. Following Jesus is an interesting thing. I mean, it's not like, you know, you commit your life to Christ and say, okay, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, all right, okay, that's cool. Here's a map, you know, and he takes out a highlighter pen and he goes, you're here now, you know, and this is where I want you to go, and I'm going to highlight the path for you. And then you can take that path, and then I'm going to see you when you get there. There's no map. There's a guide. And the guide is the Lord Himself. You're going on a journey with Him in which you've taken, frankly, what little bit you have. And simply as an act of worship given to him and said, look, I don't know how much of this you can use on the journey, but it's yours. Leverage the whole of it in service to your mission, in service to your kingdom. To follow Jesus is to leverage your life. And, And before you leave, what I want you to see is that that's like one of the coolest things ever. It's an amazing opportunity. So anyway, Jesus makes this exciting, but only if you kind of get it statement to his 12 disciples, and he makes it to them after they've seen all kinds of things. This is Luke chapter 9. There are all kinds of things that come before that. They have seen, for example, Jesus cast out demons. That's an attention grabber. They've seen him heal a multitude of people at this point, and not from like little puny things. It's not like stop coughing and sniffling. Blind see, deaf hear, mute speak, paralyzed people get up and go to work. Lame walk, significant, serious issues. They've seen this. They've seen him cleanse a leper, which in the first century was tantamount to raising someone from the dead. It was like so unlikely that it could ever possibly occur that it was like, oh yeah, cleansing a leper, that's like raising a dead person. But then if that wasn't enough, in Luke alone, he raises two people from the dead before he gets to this statement. They've been out on a boat with Jesus and the storm comes up. You remember the story? They panic, they wake him up. And he speaks to the wind and the waves. And unlike my kids, they listened. (laughs) Just kidding. My kids listen. Um, No, they're awesome. That's true. 
But nature obeys him is my point. He's just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And then at the end of the miracle, he says to his disciples, okay, guys, uh, everybody grab a basket, and I just want you to go collect up whatever's left over, like the leftovers. Everybody's full now. Now collect up the leftovers. How many baskets full? Twelve. These guys are probably still carrying at least half a basket that they're eating out of by the point that Jesus then makes this statement to them. But here's the point. They still don't understand Christ. They still don't know who He is. They still are not quite getting it. That's like, huh, what? I mean, they've seen all of this stuff, but they don't understand Him yet. And so Luke tells us this, Luke 9, beginning in verse 18, he says, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying, and I wasn't there, but I think it went something like this, just in my mind. Father, what is it going to take for these guys to get it? Let me rehearse. Cast out demons, heal the multitude. Raised a leper, thought that was good. No? Well, okay. How about two people from the dead? Wind and waves obey me? Hey, why don't you have lunch? You still got some left in that basket. What does it, what is it going to take? I think what Luke is telling us here is that the Lord is praying that God by His Spirit would open up the hearts and minds of these men who are His 12 disciples and finally and definitively reveal Jesus, who He really is to them, so that Jesus can then tell them what He really came to do. And then, in light of that, He can call them to leverage their lives in his mission. It says, now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the 12 disciples, that's the idea, were with him. And then having finished his time of prayer is the point, he asked them a question. And he said, who do the crowds, these people who are constantly gathering around me, who are constantly following me around, and whom you guys are charged with the responsibility of sort of handling, so you're in them all the time and you hear what they're saying? Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, well, you know, we'll give you the top three. John the Baptist, that's a biggie. We hear that a lot. Others say Elijah. And others say that one of the prophets of old has risen from the dead. And that, well, that's you, you know. And then Jesus said to them, but, meaning I'm not real satisfied with those answers. And here's my real question. I want to see if you're different from the crowd. Has the Lord answered my prayer for you? But who do you say that I am? Because, guys, I've just been praying to the Father that He would reveal me to you. And Peter answered for the whole group and nailed it. Great answer, A+. He says, the Christ of God, you are the true Messiah and the Savior of Israel. And so then how is Jesus revealed to our stubborn, to our hard, to our cold, and to our dark hearts? by the Spirit Himself. The revelation of Christ comes from above in response to prayer. And I want to tell you, the Leverage Your Life journey that we're on starts today as much as anything else is a journey of prayer. I covet your prayers in this journey. For me, for Matt, for Ryan, for all of us who are leading this, our staff, our leadership, our officers, pray for one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray earnestly for your own heart and that of the people in your family that God by His Spirit might reveal to all of us Jesus in more fullness, in more glory than we've ever seen Him. 
that we might see the Lord and come to gain a greater appreciation for the leveraging of His life, life, death, burial, and resurrection, and that we might see the joy in leveraging ours. So Jesus says to these guys, who, does, who do the crowd say that I am? And they answered, okay, well, top three. John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but others say that one of the prophets of old has risen. And then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered again for the whole group, nails it, gets it right, the Christ of God. You are the true Messiah and Savior of Israel. And then Jesus says something that sounds strange to us because it's the exact opposite of what we're supposed to do today. It says in Jesus, verse 21, strictly charged and commanded His 12 disciples to tell this God-revealed fact that He was indeed the true Messiah and Savior of Israel to absolutely no one. Why? Because the people in that first century had the wrong idea of what the mission of the Messiah was supposed to be. In other words, they had all these preconceptions about what the Messiah was coming to do, and their preconception was that He would come and deliver them, rescue them politically from the oppression of Rome, and that's not why He came. He's going to make that really clear here in a second. He's come to willingly sacrifice His life, to lay down His perfect, holy life in the place of sinners like me. And having laid it down to take it up again on the third day that He might conquer for all who put their faith and trust in Him, sin and death forever and ever and purchase eternal life for His people, for the true Israel. And here's the thing, Jesus doesn't want that to make the papers. He doesn't want everybody knowing, hey, we found the true Messiah because he doesn't want anybody to interfere with his ability to carry out his true mission. Life for you, suffering for you, death for you, resurrection for you. Guys, keep it to yourself, because here's my true mission. Listen to how he says it. It says, Jesus strictly charged and commanded these 12 disciples to tell this God-revealed fact that He was indeed the true Messiah to no one saying, the Son of Man must suffer. See the connection? The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Not a lot of ambiguity there. I don't know. I'm thinking He's a pretty clear communicator. And I must do that, that I might defeat sin and death and purchase everlasting life for all who put their faith and trust in me. And then notice that it's in that context. It is attached to that statement. It is in response to the leveraging of of the life of Christ, even unto death, that He then gives us. What I'm telling you is one of the most exciting passages in the Bible, but it is His definitive statement also on what it means to follow Jesus. He says, look, verse 23 If anyone would come after me, that is to say, if anyone truly desires to follow me, then let him deny himself. That speaks of a one-time decision with continuing actions into the future. He's saying, let him get off the fence. Let him quit flirting with following me. Let him stop with the one foot in and the one foot out stuff. Let him full on and wholly commit, get it in the bag, get in the bag, hop it on over to me. Joyfully, we'll get to that. Let him deny himself and then, and then every day take up his cross. Hear it? Daily. 
and crucify to your every desire to get back out of the bag. And follow me where? Wherever he leads you. He's not a map. He's a guide. To follow Jesus is to leverage your life. Say so the only question then is, well, where's the exciting part? Because, Tom, I'm pretty sure you use the words most exciting passage, or at least one of, and I did, but I also used the word joy, and I said, watch for joy. Listen for joy. Did you hear what the writer to the Hebrews said about the leveraging of the life of Christ even unto death, about his enduring the cross? It was for thee, what was the word? Joy set before him. For the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross, the leveraging of the life of Christ for you and I, for the glory of God, for his mission and kingdom, produces joy. It's true for him, and it's true for us, and it's totally counterintuitive. Because, I mean, you read this verse, you know, and immediately you recognize, okay, it's not asking a little something of me. It's asking everything. I mean, it's speaking in language of sacrifice, in language of death. I mean, it's using language of crucifixion. So it doesn't seem like there's a lot of joy attached to that, does it? And yet that's exactly what it brings. He's not calling us to an easy life or an unnecessarily difficult one either. But he's calling us to a life that matters. If your only mission in life is you, then ultimately at some point you're going to figure out that there really isn't much worth living for. And there certainly isn't anything worth dying for. There's no cause outside myself that's greater than me that I can give to my, and I can then invest myself in and bring significance to my life. If my own personal happiness and comfort is the zenith, it is the nadir, it is the goal of my existence, then my existence is infused with meaninglessness, with nothinglessness, if that's even a word, with insignificance. Christ is saying, no, there's a cause, and exactly one that is worthy not just of some small part of your life, but of the whole of your life. And it is a cause that infuses your life and every aspect, even the most mundane parts thereof, with a meaning, with a purpose, with significance. Your life actually matters. And when you're on that mission, even though at times it's not easy, there is this deep-rooted sense of satisfaction and joy in knowing that forever... The Lord's doing something through me that makes a difference. Listen to how he prays for you in John 17. Jesus at this point knows that he's going to be going to the Father. And he knows that he's going to be leaving behind to his guys, but not just to his guys. In John 17, he also prays for all those who will believe in me, like down the road. So if you're looking for your name in the Bible, I mean, your name's not there, but you are absolutely in this prayer. It's a prayer now that he prays for you. And he knows he's going to be leaving this all in the bag, hopping on over joyfully. We're getting some of that now, just a little bit, I hope. Wake up every day, crucify every desire to the contrary. Leverage your life, mission, 
for the glory of God. He's going to be leaving all that behind to his guys and then ultimately to us. The torch is passed. You follow? And how does he pray? He says in John 17, verse 13, he says, But now I, Jesus, he's saying, am coming to you, my Father, and these things about my mission and about me that I've been saying throughout the whole of this chapter, I speak out loud, not so that God can hear it, but so that his guys can hear it. And write it down and so that we can hear it. I speak in the world, he says, before I leave, that they, my followers, who get in the bag and hop it on over to leverage their lives for my mission, may have my joy. My joy. Fulfilled. Love that word, fulfilled. Where? In here. in themselves. The mission of Jesus produces joy and not just any joy. Produces His joy. Makes you want to check your joy meter, you know? Huh, what's it telling me? Luke tells us again in Luke 9, verse 23, And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, put it all in the bag, and take up his cross daily. Let him wake up each day and crucify every desire to the contrary, and follow me. And in doing so, make a difference. And know my joy, the joy of going on mission with me. And I kind of think that's exciting, to which he then adds, for whoever would save his what? His life. And maybe you want to stop and go, okay, but what does that mean exactly in that verse? I mean, you know, life, what does that encompass? It's the whole bag. It's everything. It's you. It's all you have. It's all you are. It's the whole shooting match with the bow on top. Whoever would take that and save it for himself, spend it on himself, leverage it for himself, keep it to himself. Whoever would save his life in that sense will what? Lose it. Not might lose it. Not will probably lose it. It's a pretty good shot. He's going to... No, we'll lose it. But whoever loses his life, who takes all of that, for what? For any reason at all? No. For one reason. For one cause. For one purpose. For one person, he says, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he's saying, for me, we'll save it. You know, I think oftentimes when it comes to these kinds of conversations, you know, we're going to give ourselves to Jesus. All we can think about is what we're going to lose. How immature is that, honestly? And I struggle with the same thing. It's like, oh, it's all I can think about. Oh, this is going to cost me this. Jesus is like, hey, what about what you get? How about... Oh, I don't know. Me. He's not a map. He's a guide. We journey through life with Him. Have you ever taken a trip with anybody? Like, and then you got to know them on the trip intimately because, I don't know, you're sharing a bathroom or something. I mean, you're staying in the same room. Going through the ups and the downs and the this and the that and facing the challenges together. There is a knowledge there. I mean, you just don't get that in casual conversation. Jesus is inviting you to do your life with Him. 
day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, as He leads, as He directs, as He dispenses. And the sad thing is we look at that and go, wow, wow, but look at what it's going to cost me. You know, it's like we're taking all of these things that we're so desperately clinging to, like a bunch of bricks, and brick by brick, it's a sin, it's my money, it's my time, it's my this, it's my that, it's my reputation, and I don't want to look stupid, and, 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 and. It's like we erect a wall between us and the one that we need to follow, who's calling us to follow. It's like, Lord, I can't even see you over the top of this thing at this point. He's saying, I'm your God. Know my joy in my mission and know me. And in knowing me, find all the things that you're trying to find and all these bricks that have created this wall that prevents you really, frankly, from going anywhere with me. It's utterly ironic. By giving to Jesus, you gain. In losing for Jesus, you win. By dying to the life that you would construct, that you would build, that you would plan and design and live out for yourself, and living to the life that He designs and builds and plans and constructs and goes on with you, you truly live. He says, for whoever would save his life as he would construct, build it, plan it, and live it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, for me, Christ is saying, will save it. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying there are essentially two different kinds of people in life. There are those who live for themselves, and there are those who live for Jesus. And let's just be honest, we're somewhere in there, right? I mean, it's kind of like so much of following Christ is living less and less for me and living more and more for Him. But he's saying there are those who live for themselves, there are those who live for Jesus. If you live for yourself, if it's all in the bag and it's all for you, leverage your life for you, then when you die... What do you lose eternally? Everything you've lived for. But if you hop it over and you give it to the Lord, you daily crucify the desires to get out of it and take it all out again and take charge and I want it back. And by the power of His Spirit, you go on this not always easy, joyful mission, this journey of life in which you come to know Him, really know Him, then when you die, what do you eternally lose? Nothing, but what do you eternally gain? Everything you've lived for. It's like math. And I don't know, but I mean, I kind of think that's worth a couple of t-shirts. You know, I mean, at least a wristband. Seriously. If you want to put on the multicolored Afro wig and go to the Dolphins game today, I mean, I'm not going to admit I know you, but I'd understand. Tim Tebow's coming to town, man. Maybe we can get his number. He can write this passage on his face tape. But the point is that when you begin to understand this passage of Scripture, it stops being so scary. And it starts to get exciting. Because at some point it dawns on you, hey, wait a minute, this whole following Jesus thing is not really about what Jesus wants from me like he's in need of something. So it's not really about what Jesus wants from me then. What it's about is what Jesus wants for me. And that is a total paradigm shift.
that makes it go from scary to, okay, I'm at least a little excited. I'll wear the wristband on Tuesdays. Changes everything. It reframes the whole conversation. I'm going to say the T word. It's tithing. I want you to think about that with me for a minute because that changes that. All of a sudden now, what that's about is not about what Jesus wants from me because, again, he's not, he's not lacking. It's about what Jesus wants for me. How about generosity in general where you just kind of say, well, everything I have, Lord, it's, it's in the bag. So now I'm following and I'm coming to understand your voice more and more and more as we move through this life together, you know, and share the bathroom and sleep in the same room and everything. And it's... And as you begin to dispense things, as you direct, wisely, discerning, you know, you give me wisdom, you show me what you want me to do with whatever it is that's mine, whatever that may be. Wow, I get more than I I give. It's not about what you want from me. It's about what you want for me. Find a generous person today and ask them if they regret being generous or if it is one of the greatest, single greatest delights of their lives. Same thing with time, same thing with talents, same thing with our business, with our career, with our plans and agendas. When we sacrifice them to the greater agenda of the greater one who brings his greater and eternal wisdom to our lives and move through our life with him, it's not about what he wants from us. It's about what he wants for us. The son of God comes giving, not taking. So Luke says, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me and know my joy and know me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, for me, for the guide, will save it. He will eternally gain all that he's lived for. And then we'll close with a statement of Jesus. And it's poignant because he says, what does it profit? What is the word profit? It's the word of commerce. It's the word of money. So it's like he's framing this conversation and intentionally bringing this piece into it. Why is he doing that? Because that's all he wants in the bag? No, because that's the hardest thing to put in and the easiest thing to take out. It's fascinating to me that the Bible speaks three times as much about money than it does faith. And yet without faith, it is impossible to please God or to give money. But that's amazing. Jesus talks about it more than heaven or hell. When he speaks of that which rivals for our hearts, what does he say? You cannot serve two masters, right? You cannot serve God and sex. No, he doesn't say that. God and reputation. No, God and status. No. God and some substance that we're addicted to. No, now that look, that's all in there. It's part of the bag. Those are all legit issues. He says you cannot serve God and money. He's saying, I know you guys. This is what you trust in, and you need to trust in me. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? To follow Jesus is to leverage your life, and to leverage your life is to, you know, survey your life and bit by bit put it in the bag. And once it's all in there, like honest, you and God, okay? to get in the bag and then pull the top up and put on the bow and hop it over to the Lord and joyfully because it results in joy and in the knowledge of Christ.
to give it to him to use however he wants. Lord, it's yours to leverage here. And then follow him. Each day denying every temptation to do something else. Follow him. And in following him, to know the joy of his mission, to come to know the guide who is the Lord himself, and to eternally lose nothing, but to eternally gain everything you end up living for. And I kind of think that's exciting. And I hope you do too. All right, let me tell you where we're going next couple of weeks. Next week, we're going to get together and talk about our treasure and how and why to put that in the bag. And so I've been warning you, you know, like you've been warned in advance. So if you don't show up next week, we know. We'll have a different wall with your picture. No, I'm kidding. We might. No, I'm kidding. Probably we won't do that. All right. But we're going to talk about treasure next week. The week after that, we're going to talk about time and talents, how and why to put that in the bag. The week after that, wrap-up week, having gotten it in the bag. And listen, there may be other things that God wants you to put in that bag. I want you to journal through this thing. Do the study guides. Go on the journey. Go to your community groups or, or talk to your Christian friends or husband and wife. Work through it because it may be that there's some completely other thing that I never even mention that the Lord is putting His finger on and going, okay, that's the thing that goes in the bag now. That's the thing that I want you to give to the Lord in this season. So whatever it is, it all goes in. Last week, we all get in the bag. We pull it up. We have a shiny bow competition. We hop it over to Jesus. And we do it in joy and in pursuit of the one who is our guide. And as part of that week, on that day, as an expression of the fact that we are all in as a people on His mission, and not a mission for us, but the mission of the gospel in this community. We want to take up a one-time offering and or a one-year pledge, if that's a better way for you to do it. It's separate and apart from tithing and regular giving to the church, so some of us will be able to do it, and some of us probably won't. But for those of us who can, we want to encourage each one of us to reach into our storehouses and to release some generosity that we might take that generosity and then create some housing for homeless single moms in this community. Something that we can use as a facility through which we can reach into the hearts and into the lives of these ladies. It's not just shelter. It's a way for us to begin to minister to that segment of our community and literally to provide them with the loving community that they so desperately lack. It's a time thing. It's a treasure thing. It's a talent thing. It's a beachhead of ministry that will make a statement that, frankly, we ought to take a picture of and hang on the wall and hopefully one day will be used by people who are walking around and looking at pictures like this and going, who are these guys, you know? And yet it stands. To follow Jesus is to leverage your life. And on the last week, as an expression of that, we'll take an offering or a one-year pledge to that effect. And then remember this, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will not only find me, but will find himself, will save 
his life. Okay? All right, let's pray. Father, we do thank you um, for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has ultimately leveraged it all for your glory, Lord, and for our good. The one who left heaven to come into earth, who left it all behind to assume the impoverishment and humiliation of this world. The one who said, guys, I am the true Messiah. Answer correct, but don't tell anybody because here's my mission. It's to give my life away for you. That I might take it up again and purchase forgiveness and life and eternity for you. God, we praise you for him. Help us to see him clearly in this series. Lord, help us to behold him in new and in greater ways in these next few weeks. Father, as we look into your word, as we study our study guides, as we speak and wrestle through these ideas one with another, Lord, let the picture of the Lord Christ become more and more clear in our hearts. Let us hear of his leveraging of his life, of his sufferings, of his death, and of his victory over death for us. And let us come to understand that in giving our all, whatever that is, to him we gain. That in losing whatever it may be that the gospel costs us, we win. That in dying to life, as we in our wisdom would construct, build, plan, and live it. We, we are able and privileged to live a life that He in His wisdom crafts for us and leads us on. Let us find you in our worship. Let us find you in our study. Let us find you in our prayer. And God, let us give to you what only you deserve, which is our everything. Let us do that to your glory, and let us know your joy and you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.